Welcome to Revolution and Ideology. I'm Jared. I'm Nick. And today we are still on the theme of uh, our fascination with the apocalypse in modern society. And we're here to break down another pretty interesting article that we found on the topic. This article is called Global Catastrophe in Motion Pictures as Meaning and Message, the Functions of Apocalyptic Cinema in American Film. And this article comes to us from Wynne Gerald uh, Hamanich, uh, PhD. He's a course developer at Thompson Rivers University in Victoria, British Columbia, Canada. Um, and he has a lot of vetted research uh, that he used to compile basically his ideas on why we have this fascination with the apocalypse. He also argues, unlike one of our prior um, articles that we, we deconstructed, that it's not, he doesn't necessarily break it into like the old versus the modern era. He doesn't even bother with the older stuff, although he does reference it sometimes. Um, so he's not necessarily concerned with time and space and our fascination with the apocalypse. He just mostly focuses on cinema rather than literature and things along those lines. Mm -hmm. Anything that you want to chime in on before we get into um, his ideas? No, I mean, he says in the abstract that he's focusing purely on American apocalyptic cinema. So not only is he just focused on the new, it's specifically American and specifically film. So, Right. Okay. I just want to get into his central argument so we can kind of get the show on the road. He says there are seven functions of apocalyptic cinema. And so our goal today is to go through each one of those seven functions um, that he argues and, uh, and have a discussion about them. So without further ado, we're going to kick off with the very first function of apocalyptic cinema um, in uh, the modern United States. He says, number one, we have a fascination with apocalyptic cinema to make sense of the world and to order chaos. He says, in Frank Kermode's uh, The Sense of an Ending, Studies in the Theory of Fiction, the author claims that humans are profoundly uncomfortable with the idea that our lives form only a microscopically short period of time in world history. We feel trapped in the middle. So much has transpired before we were born and so much will take place after we die. To make sense of this disconcerting fact, we look for a coherent pattern and invest in the thought that we find ourselves in the middle of a story. In order to make sense of our lives, we need to discover some consonance between the beginning, the middle, and the end. Kermode's, uh, Kermode's coherent patterns are fictions to impose structure and order on the idea of eternity. We need fictions of beginnings and fictions of ends, fictions which unite beginning and end and endow the interval between them with meaning. Um, I know that's kind of a long quote, but I thought it was all necessary there for him, for us to kind of have a conversation about this idea that we living our lives the way we do need to situate ourselves. And, and, and one purpose of apocalyptic uh, in this case, cinema is to situate our lives to, to, to actually give them a little bit more meaning. What do you think of that, Nick? Yeah, his argument here is basically that it, it's like existential angst is the way that I like view it. This is like an existential solution that we're looking for. That, you know, we have a problem with the fact that, I mean, see our episodes on, you know, Albert Camus and the absurd and so forth. But we have a problem with the fact that human lives are so microscopic on the time scale, the universal time scale, right? And we really don't know how to situate ourselves in this chaos that is the universe and so forth. So we have to make up a story that helps us give it some kind of like rigid framework that it fits within and specifically temporal framework. So we mm -hmm. have to come up with a narrative that has a beginning, middle and end for humanity, right? So 
not even to mention like origin stories and so forth, which we're all familiar with. But he says that one of the functions of apocalyptic cinema is the other book inside of this beginning, middle and end. Clearly, it's the end, right? We have to have some kind of narrative, even if it's fiction, that represents the end of humanity so that we can have this, you know, essentially three act structure of human existence. And I thought this was particularly interesting, given that in the courses we teach on ideology, we, we essentially argue that humans for a long period of time view viewed time and their place in time as like cyclical in a cycle. Right? And, mm -hmm. and, and there's always going to be like kind of like this um, uh, birth, maturity, death, but also rebirth. And I think it's interesting that this clearly challenges that and reveals that we are definitely more linear thinkers uh, than we used to be. And based on that, one of the transition periods in transition that Nick and I uh, uh, draw upon when we teach this course is the birth of monotheism, especially in the Western tradition. Now, of course, the West is not the only um, um, culture, so to speak, that falls victim to linear thinking, but it is prominent here. The reason I mention this is monotheism uh, plays a role, and he also kind of um, points in that direction with another quote. He argues, and this is where he kind of blurs the line between old and new apocalyptic thinking. He says, drawing upon a tradition of Christian apocalyptic thought dating back to the birth of Christianity, uh, Kermode argues, we have adopted the belief that the beginning was a time of prosperity and advancement. The middle is the age in which we now live and is distinguished by quote unquote decadence where what was good has declined as a need of renovation in order to usher in a new age, a process of painful purging or terrors needs to be endured. This allows us to explain the chaos and crisis we see unraveling around us as if it's almost, and he's going to come back to like the Christian tradition here in a mm -hmm. little bit in, a, in another section, but like this one, I mean, I mean, for lack of a better term, I've already said it, it situates us and also previews what we have coming. But again, as Nick already clearly articulated, it's linear beginning, middle end. We're in the middle. And of course, it's important for us um, to solve this at least mentally and maybe not even solve, reconcile our existence, I should say, on this timeline. Anything else and, you want to add on this one? Yeah, yeah, like no matter what generation you live in as a human being, you view your existence as being the middle of the human narrative, right? We're not living in the beginning of times now, and we're definitely not living in like the apocalypse isn't going to happen tomorrow, although I suppose it could, right? We always view ourselves as being in the middle. And then this narrative is like this imp impending apocalypse that's coming someday, right? But all we know is that we are living in the middle, but that like window is always changing to where the humans that exist at the time are always in the middle, right? That's how we tell the story to ourselves. Final thought on number one, to make sense of the world and to order chaos. Do you agree with him? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't think it's something that we probably do consciously, right? Like the yeah. writer or director or producer of some apocalyptic film isn't like, okay, how do we frame humanity into this beginning, middle and end? Let's write this film specifically to make it the end of this human, right? But I think it definitely happens for sure. And I, I think that we do have to, you know, I think about time a lot and the way that he, the relativity of the way that we view time. And like you talked about, you know, circular societies and so forth. The, we would be kidding ourselves if the media didn't play a very important role in the linearity, you know, the way that we view time in a linear fashion, for sure. All right. So let's move on to number two. The second function of apocalyptic cinema is to attempt to work through historical traumas or to negotiate our way around human horrors. 
He says, in the philosophy of literary form, Kenneth Burke proposes that form or underlying patterns of experience in creative works can function as equipment for living because they offer audiences possible strategies for managing recurring situations in their lives. Stephen Dine Young applies Burke's concept to the role of movies as equipment for living in the context of several scholarly traditions, i.e. textual analysis, viewer effects research, cultural studies, and gratifications research in the analysis of the relationship of the viewer to film. I've got another quote or two I want to add, but before I do, essentially what he's saying here is the second function is for us to like almost kind of prefigure or practice or learn how to deal with a difficult situation. Is that mm-hmm. what he's insinuating? Am I, no, am 100%. I right? Right. Okay. And he breaks this down. I don't know if you have this in your notes later on or not, but into two, this equipment for living term, he has two different types. And the first one is functional equipment for living, mm-hmm. which is what you're describing where, you know, we, it seems like dumb to say, but we watch a movie about the apocalypse and like that very literally is giving us skills for how we might survive such a scenario, right? Mm -hmm. You're watching whoever from the walking dead do something and you're like, okay, I have now mentally cataloged that into my brain of like, I now know how to, or at least that that's a thing that I could do if I was somehow faced with a zombie apocalypse, right? Whatever that might be. But we are learning how to do these things from watching this apocalyptic media. Of course, it's not like it's a how to film, right? But just the fact that we're planting these thoughts in our brain makes us think that we will be capable of surviving these scenarios, right? Yep. Oh, absolutely. He also, in this section, breaks down the um, the places or the time periods that we're learning from into like during apocalypse and post-apocalypse. I think you already kind of like nailed what I wanted to talk about with his quote on like during the apocalypse. We watch mm-hmm. The Walking Dead to maybe get strategies for survival. Fine, whatever. It's the other one that I think is kind of interesting. So I'm going to read the quote. He says, in post-apocalyptic films, characters who have survived the cataclysm are forced to struggle to survive in a dystopian landscape. These efforts are exemplified in the struggles of man, played by Viggo Mortensen and boy, Cody Schmidt uh, McPhee, as they scavenge for food and avoid roaming gangs in a post-apocalyptic world in the movie The Road. And the efforts of Eli, i.e. Denzel Washington, as he demonstrates uncanny survival and fighting skills, hunts wildlife, and swiftly defeats a group of desert bandits to ambush him to eventually reach Alcatraz in, of course, the very famous movie, The Book of Eli. So, I mean, I guess it doesn't change what you had already mentioned or what he mentions um, in terms of like us learning how to navigate these things. But I think it's interesting how there's like two strategies that we're looking for, both how to make it through the catastrophe and then what lo- what how to survive life after the catastrophe. Anything you want to add to that? No, I think, yeah, it's both before and I mean, during and after, right? We learn how we should be dealing with things, whatever that is. As I asked you in the first one, I mean, do you agree with this assessment or do you want to critique it at all? Because I, I, Well, hang I'm on. Not, so he has a different one. So he has the functional equipment for living where it's, okay. you know, we learn how to survive during or after. But he, they also talk about here dysfunctional equipment no, yeah. for living. So he says, quote, films can lead viewers to a trained incapacity. Audiences begin to trivialize their own problems when comparing their struggles to the life and death events on screen and become less motivated to make necessary changes in their own lives. And then later on says, uh, bringing the message that they should continue to rely on governmental, social, religious, economic, and political systems, a way of thinking which does not encourage them to seek out their own solutions to problems and does not encourage resistance and or questioning of the society as it stands. So it basically, you know, breeds complacency among the audience by watching these films and, you know, whatever, right? 
oh, well, the government handled this, so I don't need to do anything to change my behavior right now. I can rely on like the authority figures to deal with this issue, you know? I wanted to wait on that one for just a second, but we're good okay, now. Sorry. Yeah, no, we're good. It's cool. Let's just do it now. Okay, first thing, do you think we as viewers learn anything about potential survival scenarios from watching um, these movies? I think that we like to think that we do. Whether or not we could actually pull off the things that we see in films, I think is a whole other issue. You know, I talk about this all the time with my students because it comes up so often where they're like, you know, I don't rely on other humans. I could survive by myself. I have all those skills. And I'm like, no, you can't. You can't. And so we think like, well, I saw so-and-so in this film, you know, load this gun and do this thing and build this shelter and kill this. Like there's 10% of the population or something that could actually pull that off. You know what I mean? But it makes us feel good. And I'm sure that the high, like even, even, even the, the preppers and stuff that like get their own wells and go hunting and what, why am I using, I think we know why I'm using that accent, but whatever. Um, (laughs) Regardless, like I I think they also even seriously overestimate their actual survival skills. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. So um, I don't. I mean, I tell anytime I get in a debate with this about with anyone, I tell them to watch the television show alone where they take, there's like, I don't know, seven seasons at this point or something. They take the best survival experts on earth. And they put them out in the wilderness and whoever survives the longest wins like 500 grand or one of them was a million dollars. And I think the record is a hundred days. That's the longest anyone has made it. And these are the best in the world. So all these people that think like I can do it, like you can't, I'm here to tell you that you cannot do it. Yeah. I don't overestimate. I, we make the joke all the time when it goes down, I'm just digging a ditch. I'm just going to lay, lay in the ditch. It's different if you're starting with, you know, months of supplies and all these weapons and stuff, but like, still you're not going to survive forever. That's not happening. Okay, now the more interesting part, the one that, that you just talked about, that is that is to mm-hmm. me exponentially more interesting. Do we consume this type of narrative in our film, this post-apocalyptic or apocalyptic narrative, to trivialize our own problems? And honestly, what I think he's saying is absolve ourselves of any sort of individual agency. Mm-hmm. To not take personal responsibility for what's going on in our lives and to allow... Um, to be blunt, those in positions of power um, to continue to keep us subordinate. What do you think? I don't think that's why we seek them out. Like, I don't think that's why they're popular. But I do think that that is a side effect of our consumption of this type of narrative, for sure. I argue, and and this is a completely different genre, but it is an argument that 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 we make. I argue that's more a function of the superhero films, but that's just me. I think mm-hmm. the superhero, and I made this argument in in our last episode as well. I think it's superhero. Hero, yeah, I can't speak. Superhero films do the best at um, absolving us of personal responsibility and agency, mm-hmm. and relying something else on, will save us, right? Yeah. yeah, and relying on people in positions of power or religious institutions or economic institutions, etc. Right? We already talked about that, so I. I, I definitely agree with the sentiment, but I think it fits more in the superhero trope than it does in the apocalyptic trope, but maybe not mm-hmm. completely. All right. Next part, the third um, facet uh, of apocalyptic or excuse me, function of apocalyptic cinema is to do- document our hopes, fears, discourses, ideologies, and sociopolitical conflicts. He goes on to say, Bloodsworth Lugo and Lugo Lugo argue that the increase in apocalyptic films can be traced to specific anxieties generated by September 11, 2001 events, exacerbated by official government rhetoric that created an us and them dynamic that reactivated old ideologies and created new ones. Now, that's not the only example he uses, at least as he's trying to explain this out, but I think it was the, the most 
um, condensely worded. So that's mm-hmm. why I chose that one regarding this reference to these other researchers. I can only imagine Blood, Bloodsworth Lugo and Lugo Lugo. But regardless, he argues essentially that this is, I mean, this is it, right? This creates that us and them dynamic um, that reactivated old ideologies and creates new ones. And it's tied to, in each of the examples he provides, and I'll give a couple here in a second, specific important historical events. What do you think of mm-hmm. that? No, this is my favorite part of the uh, article. This is my least favorite. Okay. All right. Go, go. Riff. So he talks about how basically apocalyptic films reflect the anxieties of the society at the time. Okay. So I'll just go through these examples, even though I think you said you were going to. But he says the the first film that people point to as being an example of apocalyptic cinema is, I'm not even going to try to do the Swedish or whatever it is, but it's The End of the World. And it was in 1916 and was a silent film about a comet passing by Earth and causing mass destruction. And it was a direct result of Halley's Comet passing near Earth in 1910. So it says the very first film that we see that's an example of an apocalyptic film is a result of literally people's survival anxiety and existential angst caused by the passing of Halley's Comet. He says then there was a film in 1931 titled The End of the World. And in that film, a stock market crash is responsible for the apocalypse. Well, we see that that's two years after 1929 and Wall Street collapsing. So we know clearly that that film is a reflection of that. He says then there was a slew of films related to the atomic bomb and radiation after World War II. Very clearly, you know, this new existential angst was on the scene. And so, you know, Godzilla being one, which we have an episode talking about that, right? Uh, That type of thing. He said, and then it was even, there was a resurgence in the 1980s as a result of the Cold War. Then, you know, there were three large flu pandemics in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And there's no surprise that in the 70s, we see apocalyptic films where there are viruses responsible for the apocalypse. He says, then we shift in the 1990s to what he calls menaces from space, both aliens and celestial bodies, right? Um, Asteroids and everything. And we see the, the, the arrival, Independence Day, Deep Impact, Armageddon, and more examples. And then, like you just mentioned, 9-11, you know, flips the script. And we see a slew of movies after that that are a result, a reflection of the anxieties caused by that event. And then I added in my notes, you know, this article come out, came out in 2017. So it was before Don't Look Up. But, you know, Don't Look Up definitely reflects the anxieties that society has about stupidity of the human race and misinformation that we're getting in the media that's exactly what that film is reflecting as the main issue that causes the end of humanity it's not actually the asteroid we can easily defeat the asteroid we are defeated as a human race by essentially ignorance as related to and i think the two critiques are climate change and pandemics and responses to either okay yeah, no, I mean, I think you hit on that. I don't know that I have a whole lot to add. I thought the interesting examples that he also uses there, if I if I interject for just a second, he also references Independence Day as a post-LA riot slash Rodney King mm-hmm. type of thing. I, I thought that connection was a little bit loose. Um, any thoughts that that we have this um, African-American like lead now after the post-LA riots that comes along and saves us? I think that's what he was trying to infer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what do you I mean, think that's exactly what he was trying to infer i mean it was his his point is you know this film like you said you know will smith is the star yeah and so in the film whites and blacks must come together to save the world from an outside you know an other you know in this case yeah. an alien 
And he says, you know, that's a direct reflection of the racial trauma that was being experienced in the United States. Just prior Fair enough, to, you know. I wonder. Whether I do I wonder. That, I don't know, but that's his yeah, point. The filmmakers made that connection. The same thing. The other one that I thought was kind of loose for more modern films that we've probably all seen and, and didn't enjoy was 2012 with John Cusack. Um, mm-hmm. He made a connection to Katrina, although Katrina was like seven years before that. So I, I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Well, yeah, but oh, wait, you know, wait, slow wait. Hollywood moves. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, anyway, I, I, just just kind of thinking out loud some things that I thought were kind of some loose connections there. Anyway, you like that section um, more than I did. So is there anything else you want to like add to that to document our hopes, fears? No, and I think it's interesting that he's talking about yeah. modern American cinema. But as we saw in the other article by the person whose name I can't recall right now, um, they actually took it even further back in than that right to like the yeah. beginning of apocalyptic narratives in mesopotamia etc where like the fear was the wrath of god and so forth so i think there's a lot to this point that the nature of apocalyptic media of any era reflects the existential fears of that era I like yeah that. Well, and here's the other thing. The one part I definitely fully agree with, even though I guess it didn't get me as excited. I Now that I think about it, I make a lot of arguments for this when, when teaching the sociopolitical mm-hmm. conflicts. So what I would argue is that we obviously consume this type of media, um, not just to, I guess, deal with whatever major disaster has recently taken place or what impending disaster might take place in the real world. But I also think it's a way to, um, it acts as a cleansing effect. And I'm not sure that's what he was after, but that's the association I make is that secretly we see, and perhaps this is where Don't Look Up comes in, that we are seeking a cleansing. Like like shit's so messed up right now that I, I just want a cleansing effect. Whether that cleanse is from aliens or zombies or a meteor, I, I need, something needs to be cleansed, maybe. We'll come back to that one, though. All right. The next function of apocalyptic cinema um, in this article is to critique the existing social order. And I think that's the connection I'm kind of making a little bit here. He goes on to say, in her seminal essay, Imagination of Disaster, Susan Sontag asserts, and this is... She's probably the most famous reference he uses. Susan Sontag asserts, there is absolutely no social criticism of even the most implicit kind in social or in science fiction films. While Sontag has laid the groundwork in her essay on some of the fundamental characteristics of science fiction film and apocalyptic cinema, on this point she has it wrong. In contrast, Rosen claims that the apocalyptic genre offers more than this sense of ultimate order. It is also a vehicle of social criticism and has always been so. The apocalyptic event, at least in its religious incarnation, is God's ultimate judgment of mankind, a punishment for the ills of society, and a corrective response for a people who have failed unpardonably and are unable to right their own wrongs. And this also kind of dovetails into what or it dovetails from what we just got done talking about, right? Like that was the example that you provided. And in this case, the meteor and don't look up that we've, we've referenced a few times is it's not God anymore, but it is going to right the wrongs of humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, not to mention there's and, clearly a class critique in there, et cetera, you know? Well, and, and, and here's the other thing that I also always picked up on regarding specifically, and it might apply to others, but specifically zombie films, and even zombie directors of those films, although I can't reference any, so excuse me for not being able to cite my sources on this one, but but I've definitely read enough interviews of directors and uh, writers. Zombie films specifically are social criticisms, um, mm-hmm. often t- that the zombies are actually us, that we are already the zombies, right? Like that's mm-hmm. one of the social criticisms, that we are just mass consumers, that mindlessly going around consuming whatever in, is in front of us, not questioning, mo- mostly brain dead for for 
uh, most examples of zombies, although there, I guess there's some, some different ones. Um, I think it was even um, arguably my favorite musician of all time, the RZA, who said in the Tao of Pooh or Tao of Pooh, Tao of Wu in his <laughs> Tao of Pooh is also a good book, but Tao of Wu that like he also kind of picked up on those feelings like regarding mm-hmm. like the zombie critique that we are those mindless consumers. What do you think of maybe not just specifically the zombie, but the social the critique of oh, the yeah, for sure. I mean, I agree with Elizabeth Rosen, apparently, that I, I can't think of any apocalyptic film, I'm sure there are, but that isn't a social critique, right? We've talked about in previous episodes, like Elysium, Wally, you know, even like yeah. They Live is what I was thinking of when you were talking about the zombies and the, when I mentioned class distinction, right? It's the rich white people that are the zombies and I guess they're aliens in that film that are controlling everyone to consume and like so forth. You know what I mean? Like, I think I agree with Rosen that it's definitely a social critique. I think we hit that one. I wanted to add his example originally in my notes um, of 1951's The Earth Stood Still, but I think I'm going to skip that. I don't think it's necessary. Mm -hmm. I think we kind of hit this one up. We exemplified it. So moving on to number five, the fifth function of apocalyptic film is to respond to social crisis, warning people to change their ways in order to advert an imminent apocalypse i don't know that this is a whole lot different than number three but let's roll with it he goes on to say tales of the neo-apocalypse involve collapse of the social order the punishment of human sin and error and pessimism about humanity's capacity to rehabilitate itself unlike apocalyptic tales neo-apocalyptic stories posit no happy ending there's no deus ex machina no hope for rehabilitation of humankind this degeneracy is so complete that the ending ending can only be so too. There's nothing beyond this ending, no hope of a new heaven on earth, precisely because there's nothing we're saving. The message of these movies is clear. If mankind does not change their ways, the events on the screen will occur, bringing about the extinction of the human race. So again, we've referenced it like a dozen times at this point, but don't look up hits this one um, kind of on the nose. What do you, what else, what else do you think about this one? So I think that number three is more of like the general themes of the film of any era Right, whatever is responsible for the apocalypse or threatening the apocalypse is what the people of that era are afraid of. This is this term, you know, neo-apocalyptic is what you just described, pessimistic, that's more framing. If human beings don't change their behaviors, then the apocalypse will come. And like we talked about, you know, don't look up. But the important thing here is that the films themselves are pessimistic, right? Humanity doesn't survive. But as a result of the film, The film itself has a hopeful message, which I think is interesting to think about because it's basically saying, if you, the audience, change your ways, then you can avoid this. And I think Don't Look Up, even though no one would really think that the film is hopeful, its message is hopeful, right? That we as humanity can still be saved if we only look up, right? Everyone in the film dies because they're all idiots, But we don't have to die like them, like idiots. If we just listen to science and we look up and, you know, we're rational human beings, we can save ourselves and the planet. You know what I mean? No, fair enough. Okay. I I, I like that example. Okay. The sixth function of apocalyptic cinema is to argue that the end of the world is not near and to refute or ridicule apocalyptic hysteria. Now, even though I don't know that this is as popular a genre, it's actually one of my favorites that I had not considered, but like some of the comedies that come out regarding this are basically making fun of, and I like it. I actually like this. And again, Don't Look Up hits this, but I don't want to talk about that one anymore. We already talked about it a lot. He says, Mm -hmm. all doomsday predictions over the last few millennia share one thing in common. 
they never came to pass. And that is undeniable. He is, that's mm-hmm. absolutely true. We, we miss that. We all want this based on the first function that we talked about. We all want to be part of something. Like it gives us some sort of like reason to exist, right? We're part of something. But in reality, most of us will go through our lives without seeing, we definitely didn't see the beginning and we won't see the end. So here we have it because they don't happen. These apocalypses don't happen, at least not in human history. So it goes on to say, um, and he's referencing very specifically a funny movie that I think we all have watched and, and, and probably enjoyed. This is the end. He references, this is the end. These types of comedies were designed to entertain audiences by ridiculing those who are so quickly willing to believe in doomsday scenarios playing out in their lifetimes. They also carry a deeper message that although the end of the world is inevitable in about 5 billion years with the death of the sun, there's no rational or scientific basis to believe the end is imminent. By offering alternative apocalypses, apocalyptic comedy seeks to affect our vital comprehensive view of human history, the apocalyptic vision. There is a subversive power to comedy, its ability to ridicule, debunk, and ultimately destroy a system of beliefs. Um, Obviously, you know, I believe wholeheartedly in that. I love satire. I love satire going all the way back to the ancient Greeks and those satirists. Um, We did an episode of of all things on Gulliver's Travels as of how Mm -hmm. that was inspired by Jonathan Swift of colonialism. Um, everyone of course has watched an episode or two of, of family guy or Saturday night live, um, or South park and those satires of modern Americana. I think they are subversive. We do debate whether or not that subversion is actually effective in causing change. That is, this is not the episode for, for Nick and myself to have that conversation, but that one might be coming uh, at some point. We do. But know they I sp- think, I don't think he's arguing that it makes change. I think he's arguing no, 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 that it alleviates I'm, our anxiety, right? The yeah, comedy no, 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 helps. No. Yeah. He is definitely not arguing that they make change either. I guess we're just going to debate later the efficacy of this subversion. He is not making that argument. I do not right. want to put words in his mouth. Absolutely mm-hmm. not. Um, this is the end with uh, obviously all the famous actors playing themselves, right? Michael mm-hmm. Sarah and Jonah Hill and 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 um, the other uh, James uh, Franco. Thank you, James Franco. What about I Seth mean, Rogen, who's the star of the movie? Oh yeah, yeah. I was whatever. It doesn't matter. Like they're they're all really funny. Um, anyway, it's fine. What do you think of that though? I guess what do you think of that assertion? Whether or not it's effective, we're not debating that now, mm-hmm. and that's on us to decide. But what do you think of them as like a function to be subversive? No, yeah, I agree. I agree with him here that like the satirical, comedic, apocalyptic films. I feel like they do just that, right? They completely make fun of the seriousness of the end of the world. I mean, that's what they do. And even if only briefly, right, make you, it alleviates your anxiety to some extent, even if it's only during the course of the film, you know, it can be talking about something that's very serious in a way that's so funny that it makes you forget the fact that you're terrified of it. You know what I mean? Right. And I think that's 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 part of the comedy as well. And I think that's got to be the most embarrassing part that people are like ideologically socialized into these like one one size fits all ways of thinking about the world, speaking and acting, many of which are religious, although we could argue science kind of fills some of that role a little bit, a little bit as mm-hmm. well. Um, and they continue to argue that this is the end, more or less, and it's never been the end. Um and I'm not saying that 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 uh, zealots of any of these um, belief systems maybe want the end, although I'm sure there are a few. But I think the fact that they they're, they're kind of waiting for it that I think that does deserve to be, yeah, mm-hmm. they deserve to have fun poked at them for sure, 100. Um, percent What did you want to add? Nope, nothing. Okay, the seventh and final function, at least in in this specific article, this argument. 
um, of apocalyptic cinema is to bring people to a religious renewal, spiritual awakening, awakening and salvation message. So this was a, the, the number six was a great segue to number seven. He argues that some of these films actually do act as for these religious zealots or maybe other different type of ideological zealots to basically argue like there's still time to save yourself because the end is nigh. Now, obviously this was my least favorite. I hate all one size fits all ideologies of every kind, uh, particularly certain religions, but regardless, um, let's talk about what he means. He says apocalyptic films, these apocalyptic films specifically. So this is not all apocalyptic, apocalyptic films. It's just certain ones. This genre of apocalyptic films can be seen functioning to comfort the faithful in times of persecution where the current ill treatments are viewed as part of the tribulation, which must precede the final judgment and restoration of the faithful. I'm going to pause mid quote because I have more of this quote. This part made me upset, not with our researcher, but because he's not like wrong per se, but the fact that any of the macro religious beliefs feel that they are being persecuted in any way, shape or form, especially since he's critiquing modern American film, right? So the argument here would be that Christianity or Christians are being persecuted is absolutely one of the most offensive things that I think still gets like wars on Christmas and whatnot. Oh my God, mm -hmm. it pisses me off so bad. Moving forward though. The faithful, are told, uh, the faithful are told of their future reward to encourage them to remain steadfast and not give in to the powers of evil or the temptation to forsake their faith. And the example that he gives of the only one that I've watched, he gives a, 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 a half a dozen, maybe even more examples, but the only one I actually have seen was with Nicolas Cage, unfortunately, who's horrific um, in most cases, except for in Raising Arizona. He was a genius in that. Everything else, bad. But the movie Left Behind. Did you ever see that one? I don't think it's so. nauseating. Not. It's absolutely nauseating. I mean, the idea here is that like the apocalypse is nigh and eventually like we think it's bad. Like the idea, it's kind of like it's misdirection. Like, oh my God, another apocalypse film where things are mm -hmm. bad and people have to come together and there's an airplane involved and whatever, all that other stuff. But really it's actually hopeful because this apocalypse is um, uh, I can't even think of the term. It's in Revelations where the believers are mm -hmm. being taken away. They're going to heaven. And the, the, the real disaster would be being left behind here. What well, do you isn't think? This, like, I mean, it's the follows in the line of the Kirk Cameron left behind films, right? That are all just ridiculous. He doesn't, well, so the, the author here, um, Hamanich, re references those as well, but mm -hmm. I've never seen them because um, I probably couldn't stuck, stomach them. Um, yeah. But yes, that that's essentially where it comes from. So anyway, what do you think of this theory? Because yeah, this I mean, is he like you said in this section, he's specifically talking about religious apocalyptic media that serves a very specific function. He says there's two functions, right? You already listed the one is basically to make religious people feel comfortable through these times because the end is coming essentially is what they're saying. And the other one is to convert non-believers, right? He says, quote, spread the Christian message. And, you know, because if I watch this film and I believe the message in the film somehow, like then I'm and I'm not a believer, I'm going to be so horrified, but like, oh, my God, I must convert now so that I won't be left behind. Right. That's the whole reason for those films existing, which, like you right. said, is nauseating to me, but it's propaganda, you know. Uh, yeah, it's 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 definitely it's it's a hard con. Like I said, the only one of those that the examples that he that he um that I've seen that he mentions was left behind the Nicolas Cage version of it, not, not the Kirk Cameron. And it, it's tough to sit through just like it's tough to sit through, you know, you know, various religious services, but I, I clearly showing my bias here. Um, 
Mm-hmm. Anyway, all that stuff aside, we have seven clear functions of apocalyptic film as laid out. Again, these are not like set in stone. This is just one individual's Hamanich's like ideas. We think they're actually pretty good. I think those seven um, are are strong contenders. If we were ever to make some sort of unified theory of apocalyptic um, infatuation, mm-hmm. is there any that you would want to add that you think we're missing, or any that you think just don't don't need to be there? No, he had some that I had never even thought of, and I don't think there's any that I can think of off the top of my head that he didn't include. So I'm sure that there are. This isn't an exhaustive list by any means, but he's done a pretty good job here, for sure. Yeah, the comedic one I definitely had not considered, the satire, Mm -hmm. so I really like that inclusion there. got me thinking a little bit. Okay, anyway, um, we're probably going to stick with this. We're going to do maybe one or two, maybe even more specific film examples, breaking them down for their, their functionality within the apocalypse. Um, but, uh, be on the lookout for those Nick, take us home. Yeah, that's it. Thank you to our Patreon supporters. If you like that episode, please consider supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash revolution and ideology. I'm Nick. I'm Jared. Later.